today we are wrapping up. Uh, we said we were wrapping up Jonah last week, and we lied to you. Uh, we're actually wrapping it up this week, and I promise that's the only time we'll lie. But uh, this this week uh, we're we are recapping the story of Jonah uh, via 1940s radio show, and so. Um, We've said all along that Jonah was a real prophet that lived in a real time. And so the, the book of Jonah, unlike all of the other prophetic books throughout the Old Testament, isn't a prophecy from a prophet. It's a story of a prophet that in itself is, is a satirical parable meant to punch Israel in the gut in order for them to be able to, to see and receive God's mercy and God's grace a little differently. And so we as readers um, have been invited to hold up the mirror each week and to realize that in many ways we are Jonah. And so today is just a, a fun take on, on the story, and, but hopefully um, it'll have some meaning to you as well. And then I just want to take just a very few minutes afterwards to unpack that, and then we'll have a time of communion and a couple songs of worship before we leave today, okay? So... That's where we're going. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your people. Thank you for your people gathered. And when we gather, we want to anticipate uh, you moving in and through us. And and so the fact that uh, 300 people come out on a, a snowy morning in November, at least that's the forecast, says a lot about these men and women, and their heart for you, God. And so um, we want to uh, look at your word a little differently today. But we pray that you still move through it and you still get our attention in some, some different ways. And so bless our time, we pray in Jesus. Amen. And now it's time for the Portside Hump Companion, brought to you each week here on your local public radio station, with the generous support of listeners like you and the kind contributions of our sponsors. Tonight's story is one of intrigue and betrayal, of redemption and resolution, of vendettas and sea bass. 
It's a story of a man and his aquatic adventures, an apparent victim of his own success. It's a story of a man named Jonah. Come with me as we crack the whip of irony and present the Portside Home Companion's own story of Jonah, the self-absorbed, apathetic, controlling, hateful, ungrateful, impatient, neurotic, passive-aggressive, uncaring, unentitled Jonah the Reluctant Prophet. Our story opens in the seaport town of Gath Heifer, where the prophet Jonah was at home trying to soak in a little quiet time, which he was struggling to find. Jonah! Did you pick up the clothes from the laundromat? Yeah, I put them by the door. You threw them on the floor? No, I put them by the door. You went to go buy more? No, I put them by the door. Never mind, I found them here by the door. Oh, good work. Did I mention that Jonah still lived at home with his mother? Jonah! Are you gonna be around for dinner? Well, what are we having? Fish, of course. Come up here from the basement and help me with this. Well, I'm a little busy now with uh, You're never too busy to help your mother. Okay, okay. Let me guess, busy with this whole profit thing? Oh, it's not a thing, Ma, it's my life. Right, dear. I just can't figure out why you don't go out with the sweet girl down the street, the baker's daughter. You know, the one with the long, dark hair, strong, powerful nose, and a minor case of gout. Not many girls around here only have minor cases of gout. You should really go talk to her. My, I'm not going to pursue some girl just because her father owns a bakery. But Jonah, think of all the endless supply of matzah and chava and babka and lachava. Ma! I just think it's time for you to find a nice girl, fall in love, start your own business as a sheep shearer, a tent maker, live the dream life, and get me some grandchildren. Oh, I'm not talking about this, Ma. I've told you a million times. I'm a prophet. It's what I do. Jonah's mother went back to work preparing dinner when suddenly the doorbell rang. Just a minute! And then a knock. I said just a minute! And then a man yelling, asking her to please open the door. Please open the door! What Jonah's mother did not realize was that this man carried with him a letter for Jonah's eyes only. Ma'am, it is supremely imperative that this package gets to Jonah as quickly as possible. Where is he? I'll go get him. Jonah! Come up here, please. There's a mailman for you. Says it's supernaturally indirective that you get this letter. Supremely imperative. That's what I said. So Jonah came upstairs from his basement lair and signed for the package. Sign here and here. Uh, sign in pen here, uh, pencil here, ink here. Jonah took the package back downstairs, opened it up, and curious to about what he might find. What in the world is this? Jonah would have peed himself if he would have known that the mysterious package would alter the lives of hundreds of people. 
sorry, of thousands of people. No, of tens, no, hundreds of thousands of people. He opened the package to reveal a letter and he read it out loud. Jonah, your mission. Jonah, your mission is to Jonah, your mission is to go to preach to the people of Nineveh, Nineveh, telling them to turn their lives to God and repent of their putrid ways. This was the most disturbing mission he had ever received. Nineveh was Israel's most hated enemy, a brutal evil people who were a constant threat to Jonah's people. Jonah was stunned. Jonah, what did the mailman bring you? Oh, it was an invitation to my high school reunion. Maybe the baker's daughter will be there. How will Jonah respond to this call on his life? Will he pack his bags and head to Nineveh? Will he stay in his mother's basement forever? While we pause for dramatic effect, please listen to a word from our sponsors. Are you tired of poor reception, dropped calls, and misinterpretation when getting a call from God? It's time to join the world's largest and most reliable carrier. Whether you're being called to cross the street, cross a desert, or cross the Mediterranean Sea, there's only one carrier who will always be there. ProFets International. Call 1-800-PRO-FETS and get your first calling for free. ProFets International. Are you sure you want to hear me now? Act now. Call in the next 10 minutes and win a free trip to Tarshish. That's right. Golfing, horseback riding, and even monkeys. And all set on the beautiful edge of the world, far away from all your worries. Yes. And this trip to paradise in Tarshish can be yours if you call today. 1-800-GET-AWAY. And welcome back to the Portside Home Companion. And now we return to our story. If you're just joining us, we return to Jonah's home where he has just received a message from God to go to preach to the people of Nineveh. Jonah, your mission is to go to preach to the people of Nineveh, telling them to turn their lives to God and repent of their future. Ah, I, I think I'm going to head out for a little while to get some fresh air. All right, honey. I need you to stop by the baker and pick up some kugel and hamantash and maybe a wife. Jonah did not know where he wanted to go, but anywhere was fine as long as it wasn't Nineveh. He wandered down to the dock in the seaport town of Joppa where he met a shady-looking sailor named Dirk who was hard at work with his crew cleaning his ship and preparing for a voyage. Are this ship be sailing out to sea on a grand voyage. We'll see sights never seen before. Go places no man has ever gone. Eat raw seafood and try not to make a funny face. Really? Well, where are you going? 
We're sailing straight towards Tarshish. Where? Tarshish. The Disneyland of the West. A land that flows of gold and silver and monkeys. Oh, so nowhere near Nineveh. Aye, she's sailing in the opposite direction. Straight towards Tarshish. You can come aboard if you got money. How about I just buy the ship? That's the money. Ah, uh, so Jonas set sail for Tarshish. Feeling confident about his decision to head off to a land full of gold, silver, and monkeys. Land of opportunities, dreams, fresh starts. Where you can listen to God in a new way and be 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. Well, I'm a mighty, mighty man. I'm young and I'm in my prime. Yes, I'm a mighty, mighty man. I'm young and I'm in my prime. Well, I don't pick my jobs. I'm ready for any old kind. Yes, I'm a real young man. A brand new 25. Yes, I'm a real young man. A brand new 25. Well, I'm willing, I'm able, I'm practically much alive. Oh, and they were well out to sea, a storm was brewing on the horizon. The wind was howling, the waves were crashing. A sailor named Ralph was ironically losing his lunch. But while all of this was happening, Jonah slept peacefully below deck. As Jonah slept, the crew of the ship was panicking, crying out to their own gods. That would be little G-gods. Save us, God number one! Help us, God number two. Rescue us, God number three. The captain frantically went below deck to wake up Jonah and get him back on top of the deck to help call out to his God. What are you doing sleeping down there? The storms are brewing on deck. Sails are ripping. Masts are breaking. And my first mate, Ralph, keeps wailing and wailing. (laughs) I take it that's Ralph. That's Ralph. So Jonah went up on the deck only to find the crew anxiously waiting for him so they could find out once and for all what was causing this storm. I, I say, I say we use the magic eight ball. Yeah. yeah. I say we open this fortune cookie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crew number three. Uh, can we cast lots? Huh? huh? So they started with the magic eight ball. Arr. Ask again later. (laughs) Then they went to the fortune cookie. (laughs) Yesterday's history. Tomorrow's a mystery. Today just looks fishy. So they gave it one more shot and cast lots. Jonah! Yahtzee! As the crew stood there amazed, Captain Dirk searched for an explanation from Jonah. Tell us, who is responsible for making this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? What do you think of my haircut? Um... Jonah struggled to find the words to say. He knew this was all his fault because he had run from the Lord. 
Well, I am a Hebrew, and I, uh, I worship the Lord, the, uh, uh, the God. That's the capital G, God. Yeah, the, the God of heaven, and who made the sea and the dry land. Now that the crew knew the severity of the situation, and that this was all the result of Jonah's disobedience toward God, they were even more scared. They all knew they were in trouble, especially worst-case Wilma, who saw the worst-case scenario in everything. Well, great. Now we're going to start fighting and create a mutiny against the captain. And we'll run out of orange juice and I'll get scurvy and no one will, no one will steer the boat and we'll hit a rock, start singing and slowly be eaten by sea otters. Wow, that escalated quickly. Actually, it gets worse. But before she could continue any further, the captain asked the question everyone was anticipating. What is gout anyways? Then he asked the question only Jonah was anticipating. What should we do to Jonah to make the seas calmer? I say, I say we kick his sorry little ass. Absolutely not. We will not subject ourselves to such petty ways of solving our problems. We will not steep so low to violence and causing harm. He's on my ship and we will not endanger anyone on board. Ah, nuts. But Jonah already knew what had to happen. Uh, Throw me overboard and the seas will calm. What was that? said, throw me overboard and the seas will calm. Little louder, boy, speak up. Throw me overboard and the seas will calm. Okay, okay, no, there's got to be another way. Uh, throw over everything you got in your hands. Throw over the food, throw over luggage, throw over worst case, uh, throw over our food. Oh, but nothing was working. So as they prepared to throw Jonah overboard, they all shouted requests to God to not hold them accountable for what they were doing. Hesitantly, they grabbed Jonah by the arms and legs and started swinging him, preparing to send Jonah into the sea. All right, on three. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths. Oh, come on! Three! (laughs) Right after they threw Jonah overboard, the seas grew calm. And all the sailors fell on their knees, worshiping the true God. Will Jonah survive the splash? Will he finally go to Nineveh? Are sea otters even native to this area? (laughs) We'll find out the answers to these questions after a quick word from our sponsors. Ever had the sinking feeling that your life is going nowhere fast? You wish you could come up for air, but life has got you down, down, down. Well now, from the people who brought you Epiphany of Time and Ode to a Hot Pocket comes a new fragrance captured from the sea itself. As I sit under the haze of the cobalt sky, 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 sky. my mind wanders, thoughts drift back, 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 dancing on a carousel of love. Staring into the haze of whispered metaphors. Longing to be close. Longing to be. Longing to do. Longing. Seascapes, a new fragrance from Estee Lauder. And now we return to Jonah, desperately clinging to life as he sinks deeper and deeper into the bowels of the sea. 
he had disobeyed God and the mission God had for him, and now he must face the ramifications of his inability to muster even the slightest bit of courage. If only he'd had a sliver of compassion, a hint of obedience, but no, not Jonah, not self-absorbed, puny little Jonah. Hey, I'm drowning here. Cut me some slack. Sorry. As Jonah sank, so did his demeanor. But that demeanor changed when he heard what sounded like someone calling for him in the distance. Jonah looked around frantically, trying to determine who was calling for him. I'm coming for you. Lord, is that you? I know you'll save me. I'm going to swallow you. Uh, what was that? Jonah didn't realize that the sound he heard was not the voice of the Lord, but that of a 150-ton fish ready to swallow him down in one gulp. So Jonah found himself sitting in the belly of an enormous fish, and that's where it sank in. No pun intended. That not only had God rescued him from drowning, but that he had saved him for this mission. A mission he still was not fond of. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea, where the mountains take root. And yet you pulled me up from that grave alive. When my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayer got through to you. Into each life some rain must fall But too much is falling in mine At that moment, the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah out. (laughs) As Jonah lay on the beach... Exhausted and covered in whale vomit, his mind wandered back to his mother's basement and the package that he had received. Jonah, go to preach to the people of Nineveh, telling them to turn their lives to God and repent of their As Jonah was making the 350-mile trek to Nineveh, each step was a deliberate act of obedience mixed with trepidation. Excuse me? Obedience mixed with consternation. Constipation. He was going, but he didn't want to. I will go to Nineveh. I will go to Nineveh. I will go to that putrid, scummy city. I will go to Nineveh. I will go to that rotten, wretched den. I will go to Nineveh. As he approached Nineveh, the situation in the city was much worse than he had predicted. This week in Nineveh, things have looked worse than ever. Is there no end to the violence? Riots in the streets, store windows shatters, carriages burned. A raid on a local brothel exposed the entire city council. Literally. Morale is at an all-time low. Murder is at an all-time high. Recently voted this year's least desirable place to live, Nineveh is a den of debauchery, a haven for thugs, 
A carousel of perversion. No place is safe. No one is innocent. Not even the cows. Who can save this town? True to his word this time, Jonah took the full day's journey into the city and on a random street corner delivered this message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Excuse me. What did you say? Said 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days. The word spread quickly and soon the whole city had heard Jonah's message. Never before had eight words had such an impact. What did he say? Forty more. Forty days. What does that mean? This just in: Jewish prophet brings mayhem to Nineveh. The prophet, who goes by the name Jonah, spoke just eight words at the corner of Maple and Vine, and the response was instantaneous and unprecedented. All over the city were reports of wailing, <laughs> clothes ripping, and residents wearing the extremely unfashionable sackcloths and ashes. The reaction went all the way to the top as the king has declared a citywide fast, hoping that the Lord God would relent and withhold his destruction. In response to the people's repentance, God in his grace relented from destroying the city of Nineveh. I just want to start a flame in your heart. This displeased Jonah. Jonah exited the city and went up on a hill where he could think to himself and turn to the Lord in his discontent. This is exactly what I was talking about before the ship to Tarshish, before the storm, before the being thrown overboard, before the fish, before the vomit, before the 350 miles before the eight-word sermon, I knew this is what would happen. They deserve your wrath. They deserve your judgment. They deserve your annihilation. But no! You have to be gracious and compassionate. These are our enemies, and you treat them as if they're your people. Now, Lord, just take away my life. Take it. Take it now. Away from me. It's better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied, You done? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jonah, do you have any reason to be angry? Those words hung in the air like the stale humidity that encompassed Jonah. So Jonah went to a place east of the city to sit and wait to see what would happen. And the Lord provided a plant that would grow. And provide Jonah with some shade. And Jonah was very happy. For the first time in the whole story, Jonah was happy. Now I'm happy. <laughs> I've got some shade. I've got my sweet tea. I've got my lawn chair and my binoculars. Now all I need is a little destruction. Let's go sunning. It's so good for you. Let's go sunning. Need the sky of blue. Greet the sun every morn. 
feel as free and happy as the day you were born. Let's go native, sign your cares away, be creative, learn to live and play. Pretty flowers need the sun, this applies to everyone. Life's worth living when nature's given. Happiness to everyone, so let's go sunny. Oh, but the happiness was short-lived. For at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and smelled a bit like bacon. And once again, Jonah was being dramatic. It's so hot. I can't go on. Just take me now. The worm chewing and the wind and the bacon. I don't want to lie here anymore. All right, Jonah, not again. Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? Oh, it is. It is. I don't want to be a prophet anymore. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Many cattle as well. Should, should I not be concerned about this great city? Will Jonah answer the question? Will he ever accept God's grace on the Ninevites? Will he continue to be a prophet? Will he eventually marry the baker's daughter? Tune in next week on the Portside Home Companion to the answers of all of these cliffhangers and questions. Oh, wait just a second. That is the end of the cliffhanger. How embarrassing. So sorry. Well, anyway, many thanks to Jeff Wojcicki, Joy Bergman, Chris Carter, Matt Miner, and Ralph in the booth. And thank you for listening to this week's edition of Portside Home Companion. And the story of Jonah, like any good radio show, leaves you hanging with a question. And the question, like any good question, invites the listeners to answer it as well. God likes to tell stories like this because he knows that in some form or fashion, we are all like Jonah. We might have different hang-ups, and we might have different baggage, and we might have different issues, but flaws are flaws, and God, in his grace, calls our name, and he gives us little things to do alongside the big thing that he is doing, and he wants to stretch us beyond our entitlement and beyond our hardship and beyond our whining in order to experience the full weight of his goodness and be changed by the experience. J.I. Packer wrote, 
God picks sinners. God saves sinners. God calls, equips, and uses sinners, and Jonah was one such sinner. God's way is to change them, and as he uses them, to change them as he uses them, and to use them while he's remaking them, that sanctification and service go together. And despite our perpetual inclination to miss the point, God still takes us along for the ride and transforms us along the way. Around the, the second century, there was a Roman citizen that lived in Egypt named Ptolemy. And he had a theory about how the sun and the stars and the planets all rotate around the earth. And then 1,400 years later comes Copernicus. And he had a different theory that we actually all revolve around the sun. And the transition that Jonah and the rest of us have to make is the the journey from Ptolemy to Copernicus. From I am the center of my universe to we are in orbit around the center. From self-obsession to God-obsession, from from self-centric to Jesus-centric. The transition is the essence of repentance. And repentance is to redirect, redirect back to what God has for us and his will and his desires and his truth. No one knows for sure who wrote Jonah. Um, a lot of scholars feel like it was written uh, two to 300 years after Jonah as a, a, a parable for the people of Israel while they were in captivity. Um, it's possible that Jonah wrote Jonah. If, he, if Jonah wrote Jonah, then the book itself is a form of repentance, right? That uh, he has this brutal honesty realizing that the same God who pursued the Ninevites was actually pursuing him. Thomas Merton said, The zealot is a man who loses himself in his cause in such a way that he can no longer find himself at all. Jonah had this cause. He, uh, well, Merton says, it's not the self-forgetfulness commanded by Christ, but an, an immersion in his own willfulness. And, and Jonah, in his zeal, in his willfulness, willfulness to see justice served and to see God destroy his enemies, Jonah lost himself along the way. But God, in his divine imagination that the lost can be found, in his desire to save not only the city of Nineveh, but Jonah, God is the hero of the story. God hurled a great wind on the sea. He appointed a great fish to swallow and rescue Jonah. The Lord commanded the fish to throw up. God relented on destroying Nineveh. He appointed a plant. He had appointed a worm. He appointed a scorching east wind. He controls the world. He controls nature and prophets and pagans. God knows what he's doing. And at the same, at the close of the story, we, we see the same God who tends the vine, but also who tends to the hearts of the Ninevites. And in softening their hearts, he is extending grace, not only to the Assyrians, but to Israel as well. As Israel, a few years later, is taken into captivity. And the Assyrians post-Jonah were very different than the Assyrians pre-Jonah. Pre-Jonah, they were known as as exterminators and brutal, and they would skin people alive. 
But they didn't do that to the Israelites. Post-Jonah, they were, they were still uh, very ruthless and fearless and aggressive, but they weren't exterminators. And God in his sovereignty actually changed the Assyrians to prepare them as an instrument for, dis, for dis, disciplining Israel. God is working ahead, and he didn't want to abandon Israel to the brutality of the Assyrians. And so his sovereignty and his grace and his imagination are the threads that run throughout this book. And the really cool thing is that they are the threads that run through the plot line of your life as well. His sovereignty, his imagination, his grace. That's what moves us from from. Ptolemy to Copernicus. That's what moves us from our worlds revolving around us to our worlds revolving around Christ and his glory. And that frees us up, not only personally, but it also frees us up to go into our present day Ninevehs, whether that's across the world or across the hall with the imagination and with the truth and with the grace of God. God had been active in Nineveh long before Jonah ever arrived, just like he is active in the hearts of people from the day that they were born. He is a God who pursues. And so we, when we come into a conversation sharing the truth and love of God somebody with somebody, we're actually joining something already in progress. God has already started the conversation, and we are just simply clearing the ground for him to move. So a couple things from Jonah. We can't be choosy about who God loves. We can't be choosy about the call on our lives. Eric Bryant wrote this, God's heart beats for those who do not know him. And when our hearts beat along with God's, the barriers for reaching others dissipate. Our love for God and for others surpasses our fear, our apathy, our prejudice, our selfishness, our complacency. A couple verses for us. First Peter chapter 3 says, don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. Hmm. Jonah knew all about God, but he didn't really know God. He didn't understand the big why of God. His imagination was limited. His storyline was very small. His world was tiny. He had no room in his imagination for what God wanted to do. When our kids were small, uh, we, we were at a beach in North Carolina. It was a really wide beach. And uh, there was a, a tidal pool that 
formed almost every day. And it was, you know, tidal pool. It was, it was about six, eight inches deep. And sometimes you could find little fish in there, and sometimes you could find shells in there. And, but uh, throughout the day, uh, it just kind of got smelling really bad, you know? It was just like there was, there was nothing coming and going. And so um, at low tide, it was kind of rank. And that's exactly where our kids wanted to play. And so they're in this nasty water, and the whole ocean is out there, you know? It's like, can we go out there? No. <laughs> Jesus was always trying to move people, trying to move us. God's heart is to move us from the tidal pool to the ocean, from the, the limits of our comfort and our imagination into the wide open space of his grace. And he gives lots of signs, and, and for us, Jonah is a sign. And so in Luke chapter 11, the crowds increased, and Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. You want a sign? Jesus says, I'll give you a sign. Look at Jonah. He said, for as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. That in the same way that Jonah was buried in the belly of a fish for three days, Jesus says, I'm going to be buried in a tomb for three days. You want, to, you, you want me to heal your broken toe or feed you or call down fire from heaven on the Romans? I'm talking about resurrection. Jesus says, I'm talking about life. You're playing in the tidal pool when I want to give you the ocean. That's what I want. That's my heart. I read that there's a, actually been a tradition of the people of Israel, of the, of the Jews, of the Israelites, throughout the generations. When they read Jonah, that they read it as a parable looking at themselves. And that, that actually what they would recite was what we started four weeks ago with. I am Jonah. I don't want to be Jonah. His story is our story. A story about God using the most unlikely people to accomplish amazing things. And so my question, are you willing to go with him and be completely changed and transformed as you serve, as you share, as you love? His story is one of repentance. And my question, are you and I, are we willing to be broken to be steered away from living for ourselves and to live toward God? Are we willing to ask honestly who we are apart from God's compassion? To move from this independent, self-made illusion to a completely reliant life on Jesus. Third, 
a story. This story is a story where the contrast between grace and religion is so vivid. And so my question, are you and I, are we willing to move past the legalism or the task list or the achievement or the religion and actually rely on, abide with Jesus? And fourthly, the story about actually caring and loving for people, loving people who have no clue how incredible God is. And the fact that Jesus came to die so that they could live. So my question, are you, are we willing to imagine what it would look like to have a vision for what it would look like for our family, for our friends, for our the guy you sit next to in class, for your neighbor across the street, can you imagine them coming to receive and to accept his forgiveness, his grace? God can imagine that. He does. That's his story. This is really a story not about Jonah, not about you and me, but it's a story about God. The God who relentlessly pursues and transforms sailors and Ninevites and stubborn prophets in you and me. This is a story about God and his grace. So that segues us into a time of communion. If you are preparing communion, please do that. And I I just want to invite us back through these four questions. Are we willing to receive what God is calling us to? To do and to be and to be completely changed are, are we willing to let go of our Ptolemy-like self-sufficiency and really rely on Christ? Are we willing to, be, to repent, to, to be broken, to change our direction so that we are in line with and in step with the Spirit? Are we willing to forsake our own version of religion, to let go of our own worthless idol, whatever that is, in order to grab a hold of God's grace? And are we willing to love, to share, to serve, to pray for those that we love that don't yet know Jesus? Are we willing to pray, to love, to serve, to share Christ with people who we'd rather not talk to? Let's let those questions and this story just frame our time as we take communion today. We invite you, if you're a Jesus follower, to take this bread and to take this cup. It's something that Jesus gave us to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. The provision that he made for us. The pursuit that he has had on us. 
to acknowledge, but also to align with the fact that he is all truth, that he is all grace. And that not only are we Jonah, but we are Nineveh. And God has gone to the extremes, not just to get our attention, but to actually save our lives. And so we, we take this bread and we, we hold up this cup and it's a cup of salvation. And we toast, we toast to the God of the universe who loves you. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your pursuit. Father, our, our worship is simply returning the gaze. Our worship is remembering the faithfulness. Our worship is expressing our love to the one who beat us to the punch, whose love has no limits or boundaries. So we take this Not just acknowledging, but in deep gratitude for our rescue. We pray in Jesus. Amen.